Hello, and welcome back to the Self-Healer Soundboard, How to Do the Work Masterclass. Last episode, we talked all about our ego, or the voice of endless chatter that narrates our life, keeping many of us stuck in old stories about ourselves and cycles of emotional reactivity that don't represent who we truly are. For many of us, these cycles are most obviously present in our relationships with our friends, our family, our partners, and our community, where very few of us feel truly authentically connected to those around us. This episode, Jenna and I will dive into chapter nine of how to do the work, trauma bonds. Hello, everyone, and thank each of you for joining us, for everyone listening and viewing trauma bonds. Trauma bonds have become a hot topic. So what exactly are trauma bonds? Trauma bonds are our conditioned ways of being when we're in relationships. For most of us, these patterns mirror our earliest attachments to our parent figures, where many times, many of our needs, our physical needs, our emotional needs, or our spiritual needs went unmet. For many of us, there are cycles of disconnection, of reactivity, of abandonment. Again, all of these cycles really do reflect those earliest relationships that many of us formed in childhood. These trauma bonds, to be clear, do show up, of course, in our romantic relationships, though they also show up in our friendships and our family relationships, pretty much any relationship that we're in. So what I saw reflected, again, which began for me very early in childhood, reflected in all of my present day relationships, were patterns of disconnection. Me being so disconnected from my physical body, from my emotional body, and from my spiritual self, seeing that disconnection play out in my relationships, yet for me, always holding the other person responsible, always looking for the perfect partner that would show up in some different way that would allow me to honor my needs. Little did I know that unconsciously, because trauma bonds operate in that subconscious that we continue to explore, Little did I know that I was creating this pattern of disconnection. I wasn't showing up as a fully connected human, so I was playing a part. And for me, that pattern began, for those of you who have been following along in the book or throughout these episodes, in childhood, when living in a home with very few emotional attachments, I lived that same pattern of disconnection. So to be clear, a trauma bond is a relational pattern that become our familiar. They're created in childhood, so they look very similar to those earliest relationships. And into adulthood, they can show up in all of our relationships. And for many of us, they keep us disconnected from our true deeper needs. Trauma bonds really are so, so common in our society today. We see them all the time in movies, on television, in all entertainment, books, etc. And we've really, as a collective, been seducted in this idea that that heightenedness or that trauma bond cycle of highs and lows that we'll get into is really really love. And while we perceive this as love, we really need to go back to the dynamics and patterns that actually make up a relationship. So it's not just this extreme high or this extreme low that we'll go into as a trauma bond, but really what the dynamics are in a relationship. And a super helpful way to do this is identifying trauma bonds and in particular trauma bond archetypes, which we'll dive into in how to do the work. Yeah, absolutely, Jenna's. Because because many of us are operating in trauma bonds, I think that can be a really helpful place to start. So, how do we know what are signs that some of our relationships might be trauma bonded? 
And signs of trauma bonds are when we feel almost a compulsive or an obsessive pull towards certain relationships, despite maybe the anticipated known or unknown long-term consequences. Um, a lot of times, you know, we might be hearing from very well-meaning loved ones about all of the red flags. Can't we see where this particular relationship is going to go? Yet in the moment, we feel so pulled, so drawn to this type of person. Another sign that we might be having trauma bonds in our life is if we look across all of our relationships and we see an overarching pattern of not having our needs met, of having relationships where we are not taking up space or we're not able to show up and honor our needs. This can show up like not being able to say no or not being able to have limits. Um, for me, I had a really pivotal moment that I've shared a couple times and I'll share here where, you know, being very disconnected to myself and to my needs, I was having an exchange with a friend over some stress that I was having, feeling pulled in a million different directions from my partner and my family in particular. And very calmly, after I had just described to my friend all of the wants that everyone else wanted of me in my life, so my family wanted this, my partner at the time wanted this, my friend very calmly looked at me and asked what I wanted. And I have never been so dumbfounded. I had no answer. So this is another sign for me that something was going on. I couldn't even tune into what my wants were in those relationships with my family or with my partner. So for those of us who don't know what we want, who are unable to say no, or who are unable just to generally recognize or get our needs met in a relationship, that can be an indicator that we are in a trauma bond. This leads to patterns of self-betrayal and a lacking of self-trust. If all of our relationships aren't serving us or don't result in fulfillment, and if to continue to show up in our relationships, we're overstepping our needs, we're not saying no when we need to, it does erode at our ability to trust ourselves at a deep, deep level. I'm going to read a passage straight from the book to really just give you a deeper example and overview of what that trauma bond experience could feel like. For those of you who have the book, How to Do the Work With You, you can find this passage starting on the bottom of page 162. Shame, addiction, and trauma bonds. For people who have experienced trauma, it's easy to confuse the feeling of mental and physical activation for authentic connection. When stress responses are identified as our homeostatic home by the subconscious, we may confuse signals of threat and stress for sexual attraction and chemistry. Eventually, we develop an emotional addiction to this heightened state that keeps us stuck in cycles in which we end up in the same relationship dynamics as always, with the same or different partners. This traumatic bonding is an addiction, as real and consuming as any other addiction, that takes us on a similar biochemical roller coaster. Emotional addiction, or literally the chemicals, the hormonal changes, the biochemical changes that happen in our body as a result of these relationships, are such a powerful pull to keep coming back to them. So like I referenced earlier, in the subconscious part of our mind are all of these habits and patterns that so many of us have repeated time and time again, day in and day out. The more we repeat these patterns in our relationships, the more, because we now do understand that our minds and bodies are connected, the more we're releasing chemicals, we're actually changing our bodies. And then because all of these neural networks get stored in our subconscious, each and every time we go to engage in a new relationship, 
those of us now know how powerful the subconscious is, it doesn't like the new. It doesn't prefer the unfamiliar. It prefers those same familiar ruts or those neural networks because it knows how it feels. And according to our subconscious, the unknown could be threatening. It could be unsafe. So here's where the emotional addiction piece plays in. These relationships and all of the stress and all of the chemicals that go along with these relationships become that familiar pull. And this is why, for those of us who have had those well-meaning others who are shouting from the sidelines of all of these red flags, we actually can't see them in that moment. We are so compelled, so driven toward that familiar feeling that that long-term possible consequence doesn't matter. And this is why so many of us find ourselves quite literally addicted hormonally, physiologically, down to our nervous system and its responses to this particular pull, to this particular type of bond or relationship to this trauma bond. I've witnessed this in myself all throughout my life where deep-rooted fear of abandonment, right? So I was abandoned by my dad. That's my deepest fear. So what I've actually been doing is subconsciously then seeking out that same thing. So then what do I do? I've unconsciously then spent my life creating situations and behaviors that will eventually push the other person away or sabotage a relationship so much to the point that the relationship ends. So subconsciously, I'm arranging all of this so that I can get my end result. I can get the familiar again. I'm actually having behavior that is pushing someone so far away so that they will abandon me so I can then be stuck in that feeling of familiar because in some ways it's comfortable. And there's a, a quote right from the book, so from How to Do the Work on page 162, if you're following along. The goal is always to receive love because bonds equal survival, love equals life. Now, I love this quote, and it's so important because we are naturally driven to always seek love. Love is that bond which really means survival. And this is another quote right from the book, How to Do the Work. We're always unconsciously seeking to relive our past because we are creatures of comfort. We love to predict the future, even if the future is certain to be painful, miserable, and terrifying. So even that abandonment for me was painful. It was familiar to me. So that pain and misery is actually safer than the unknown. Absolutely. So just as I was sharing earlier, right, keeping myself disconnected, just like I had been in childhood, you know, in my in my home, in my family, with my mom in particular, kept that's what I knew. That became my familiar. So of course, when I entered into friendships and romantic partnerships, all I knew was to keep myself at that same distance. Yet there was a part of me that felt unfulfilled and unsatisfied. And like I was referencing earlier, instead of at the time, being able to acknowledge, well, wait a minute, I'm playing a role in this pattern continuing by not bringing my needs to the table, by not allowing my partner to show up in service of them. I'm continuing in this pattern without being able to do that. I instead looked for the partner who would somehow miraculously be able to mind read and meet these needs that I wasn't bringing to the table, which of course was an unfillable expectation to put on anyone. So a lot of us do engage in trauma bonds. Um, in the book, How to Do the Work, we do explore some different archetypes. Those of you who have joined in an earlier episode where we spoke about inner child, meeting our inner child, we will revisit some of these early relationship patterns and now we'll explore what they result in or how they play out in our adult relationships.
So the first step in breaking these trauma bond patterns, of course, is just bearing witness, seeing which of these old habits and patterns you're carrying with you. You're showing up in the same way in your adult relationships. That consciousness will allow us over time to begin to make new choices. So the first pattern that we want to talk about are for those of us who in childhood had a parent figure who denied our reality. Into adulthood, that leads to a continued tendency now where we show up and we deny our own reality. We deny our own needs. We deny our own desires, our own thoughts, our own feelings. We sit in denial of ourselves now. This also could look like a tendency then to outsource decisions, needs, to look to others for guidance in absence of being connected to our own intuition. Because at its core, when we did not have our reality validated in childhood in a deep way, we don't trust ourselves. We don't feel connected to our intuition or those of us that are still somewhat connected, we don't trust what it's saying. Yeah, so if you're not connected to your intuition or betraying your needs or really just not in touch with or in tune with your needs, then as an adult that looks like that person that's really easily overwhelmed or is just kind of going through on autopilot, procrastinating in making decisions, kind of always confused of what's really happening, what's real, what's not real, and always really second guessing themselves, never trusting themselves. So those of us in childhood who have had a parent figure who does not see or hear us into adulthood, um, this leads us to quiet our, our expression. If in childhood we didn't feel safe or we didn't have the space to just be who we are, to share our thoughts, to share our feelings, to just self-express, over time, we quiet that voice. We continue to quiet that voice. We might even lose that voice entirely. This could also look like a tendency to pick big personality partners where their way of being sucks up all of the air in the room, leaving us no opportunity to be seen and to be heard. This allows us to continue to not be seen and to not be heard exactly like we hadn't been in childhood. So this can be that caretaker role that's always looking to meet other people's needs. It could be the peacemaker role, someone who's always trying to make peace or someone who's always trying to bring jokes and be the funny person or the person who, Nicole's reminds me of you, the achiever who's always achieving, who's always doing the best in sports or the best in school or whatever it is that they're working on to get accolades. It can also be, on the contrary, through dysfunctional or negative behavior that the person gets attention in some way. So they may take on some of those previous roles that I've mentioned or they could go the opposite route and really just become, I guess, the role of dysfunction, anything that is sort of erratic or has a need to be seen. This really just results in playing whatever role it is that allows the person to be seen. So whatever draws the most attention to them to meet the need of being seen. Another archetype, so for those of us in our childhood who have had parent figures who vicariously live through or mold and shape you into adulthood, this leads to a continued tendency to rely on external guidance, to be the person looking through the self-help books for the guru, asking your friend because they know better than you do. Um, oftentimes this leads us into careers, into relationships, into paths in life that aren't fulfilling because typically the reason why we entered into those paths are for some sort 
of external validation, right? Because in childhood, when we did do as we were molded or shaped to do, typically there was validation attached to on that other side. So into adulthood, we typically do the same thing. We seek out that external validation or we seek out the ideas of another when it doesn't come from within. And when we're seeking out this external validation or this external insight or advice from someone to show us or guide us on our own journey, it really becomes a very deep disconnection with your authentic self. So this often shows up as the person who's always needing to really talk things out, sometimes with multiple people, multiple times over and over in order to figure out how they themselves feel. So they need that external feedback and external guidance or that guru, like you're saying, to let them know how they're feeling. So it also sometimes, not always, looks like that adult that's popping around to new groups or new ideas or new teachers and seeking something, not from an authentic curiosity, but from a an external need for the other person to really guide them on their own journey. So they're always seeking the external. Another archetype, um, for those of us in childhood who have had parent figures who did not model boundaries into adulthood, this results in a similar lack of boundaries or in loose boundaries, which ultimately results in, again, us not feeling safe or not having our needs met at our core. Because boundaries are those limits, those points of separation where I end and Jenna begins, allows us to show up in full self-expression, which often does mean allowing our needs to be met, allowing them to come to the surface. So when we don't have those points of separation, my needs get blurred with the needs of everyone else around me. And as I was sharing earlier, what that led me to was resentment, was not understanding that to define, to have my needs met, I need to define them. I need to bring them to the table. So lacking boundaries in childhood results in us not knowing that limits can apply and therefore not knowing how to apply limits in our own space, in our own life, and in our own relationships. Having a parent figure who has not modeled boundaries growing up in adulthood looks quite like that, experiencing resentment or feeling resentful in relationships. Or if when you go to say no to a partner or someone in a relationship, or you go to set a boundary, you feel either afraid or bad or like it's selfish. You know, you're you're timid to even set a boundary itself. So this trauma bond archetype in adulthood might be that adult who's constantly saying to themselves or you listening, why do people take advantage of me? Why don't people appreciate me? While those are normal responses to boundary violations, what we don't understand is that this behavior is related to our lifetime lack of setting boundaries or limits to the time, energy, and emotional resources that we expend on others. So while we may be the adult walking around wondering why everyone else is taking advantage of us or why no one else seems to appreciate us. It's actually us ourselves who have likely spent a lifetime and are responsible for not setting those own boundaries with ourselves and the people around us. So boundaries are a really, really common one for a lot of listeners, including myself, um, understanding that I also did not have boundaries in childhood. Really, really common. Another common archetype that we're going to explore is those of us in childhood who have had a parent figure 
who's overly focused on appearance. Into adulthood, this leads many of us to be equally focused on external appearances. It can look like a tendency, almost obsessive for some of us to compare ourselves to others. We all walk around now with a whole social media world of endless comparisons. So we might find ourselves, right? Always comparing how do I look versus how do they look? Um, and ultimately that's where a lot of our attention goes to the external, to the appearance, to how might someone else be perceiving me in any given moment. The final archetype that we're going to revisit, another very, very common one, are for those of us in childhood who have had parent figures who cannot regulate their emotions. Into adulthood, this leads many of us as adults, myself included, to lack emotional coping skills, to lack emotional resilience. We might find ourselves consistently emotionally overwhelmed, reactive, maybe withdrawn. For some of us, we explode outward with our emotions. We yell, we scream, we throw things. For others, we turn inward, we numb, we self-isolate, we dissociate. Either way, what we're doing likely is navigating our emotions the same way we were modeled in childhood. So when we did not have a parent modeling how to regulate their emotions, we typically pick up on the same pattern or we adapt. We do the best thing we can with our emotions that usually don't serve us in the long run. Yeah, if you weren't modeled those coping skills to truly regulate yourself, then how would you know how to do it? And as mentioned on previous episodes, you know, my parents largely weren't there and also were very much dealing in their own survival and trauma. So there was no emotional regulation, no learned coping skills that they even had. So there was nothing for my siblings and I to really have to regulate ourselves. And I noticed this still within myself, especially being in a new relationship now, that immediate impulse or reaction when a big emotion comes or when there's a conflict or a certain argument or frustration to immediately escalate or want to slam doors or stomp out of the room or immediately talk over and heighten my voice so that I don't have to hear or fear what the other person has to say. On the contrary, this also can look like uh, a popular term nowadays is ghosting. So that person that just completely disappears, they withdraw, they pull back, they stop speaking, or they actually just ghost and disappear altogether. Another form of behavior that we see a lot is addictions. Like we've mentioned emotional addictions, right? Well, we also see this in physical addictions, whether it's drugs, alcohol, food, scrolling through social media, anything to really numb ourselves. So if you're numbing yourself, then you don't have to ask yourself the deeper question. If you're numbing and dissociating, then you don't have to spend time asking, you know, what what is making me unhappy? What is actually going on? And we can just sort of ghost ourselves. These are really, really common, Jen, and I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, there's so many instances even now where I find those similar tendencies, that desire to distract, to numb myself, just like I used to get on my spaceship when I was a child, right? That tendency to pull away because that's what I, I saw. That was what was modeled to me. Emotions in my, in my young life were too big. So the large majority of my family disconnected from them. So what did I find myself doing even to this day into adulthood? That drive to distance, to numb is still there. So as we go through and as we want to think about how our past relationships affect our current relationships, I want to just acknowledge how normal 
all of these trauma bond patterns are. We are interpersonal creatures. So relationships are really priority in our childhood. Like Jenna said earlier, we need our connections to others, our attachments to others to make sure our needs are met. Yet when we don't have the space, when we don't have a, a caregiver who's attuned to our uniqueness, we begin to modify ourselves. And we begin to then show up in these very patterned ways to stay as connected as possible to the love that was available as it was available to us. And for some of us, that was a very limited amount of love. And for many of us, we had to wear these masks. We had to show up in service of someone else or something else. The one archetype um, around emotional maturity, I know for some of us this hits a nerve. There's actually a, a whole chapter in the book that we'll get to in a few episodes around emotional maturity. How few of us had an emotionally attuned, safe parent who could regulate their own nervous system to therefore model that for us. The large majority of us have had emotionally immature parents who were not navigating their emotions in ways that were helpful to us. And many of us into adulthood are carrying a lot of patterns that no longer serve us. So in a few episodes, stay tuned, we'll be talking all about emotional maturity and how to begin to create that in our own adult lives. I really appreciate you normalizing it and just expressing that, yeah, we we are humans. You know, I still get reactive. I still will slam doors. I'll still want to go and numb or scroll or dissociate. And I'm still learning and doing the work to create that regulation and to create those skills so that anyone who out there now who, you know, is a parent figure, who is a caretaker or who will be in the future, you'll be able to have those skills to then model yourself. So they're watching you begin to regulate and learn these skills. Now, how do we do that? A really easy way to begin this work, and we've actually been doing this in the circle this month. So the circle is our private self-led uh, virtual healing community. Now, this work is to begin exploring your experience of your relationships by asking yourself a couple questions. Now, I'm going to take these directly from the book, How to Do the Work. These are on page 169. To do this, you want to write down the names of some of the people that you have the closest relationships with. So think of your closest friends, your partner, whoever you're closest with spending the most time with. And witness how you feel most often when you are interacting with them. The questions to ask yourself. Do you feel tense and anxious? Do you feel safe and free? So do you feel tense and anxious around them? Do you feel safe and free around them? How do you feel around these people? Write the names down in a list and then next to each, just spend some time witnessing how you physically feel in interaction with those people. Really, really great place to start, Jenna. So thank you for mentioning that. And then, of course, those of us, once we get clear, you know, especially on the column where we're starting to maybe come to an awareness that we're not feeling as safe, we're not feeling as free, we're not feeling maybe as connected or fulfilled even, then dive a little deeper. Right, begin to explore, witness yourself. How are you showing up for these relationships? The focus here is on the self. What role am I playing? How am I navigating my emotions? What am I doing to continue this pattern in this relationship? And chances are you might see some of the, these archetypes. You might see some of these patterns that you too have carried with you from your earliest relationships. We actually have a question coming in about trauma bonds in particular coming in all the way from Sweden. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Jenna. I just, first, I just want to say thank you for all the work that you're doing. Um, my name is Karin, and I'm calling from Gothenburg in Sweden. My question is the following. Um, I've been, for several years, quite aware of my uh, attachment trauma, 
and it, I, I can't seem to break it because, you know, you can't control who you're attracted to. So I'm just, I want to know how do I begin? Because I know I'm quite aware when I'm dating a guy uh, and I'm like, I'm, I'm attracted to him and I want to date him because it, it, it speaks to my trauma bombs, I guess. I just want to know how to break this. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carlin. Um, Carlin's question is about attraction, attachment, and trauma bonds. So attraction actually comes from chemicals. When we are attracted to someone, we release oxytocin, dopamine, and usually attraction comes from moments of intense physical or emotional experiences. Attachment, everything we've been talking about, are those patterns, the ways we show up in relationship. Again, these are modeled to us in childhood. They become how we show up to our relationships from childhood. And then we repeat that exact patterned way of showing up throughout our life in all of our future trauma bonds. So like Carlin said, while we can't help who we're attracted to, and again, we're all attracted to different people for different reasons. So for me, I'm attracted to people that I like to share similar experiences with or similar thoughts with. That's where, for me, I feel attracted. So once attraction happens, what we can become conscious about is how we're showing up for that relationship. So like Carlin said, we can't help the first part. It's very much biochemically driven. However, once we're in that relationship or once we begin to navigate into that relationship, now the work begins when we become conscious of how we're showing up. And when we become conscious of how we're showing up, many of us can begin to differentiate those older patterns from our older relationships, our trauma bonds, and the new ways that we want to show up. For some of us, we need to explore how to meet our needs now into adulthood. So for many of us, it's a now a journey of discovery. Um, so for me and my partner, Lolly, her and I began in a trauma bond. And I like to share this because I know a follow-up question is, can I shift my trauma bonds? If I'm someone listening and I know that I have these older habits and patterns, can I create change? And the answer is, of course you can. You can become conscious. You create new space for you to show up in a new way. So while we began, Lolly and I, in a trauma bond, as we began to heal both of us separately and together, it was each of our jobs as individuals to show up from our conscious self and to begin to make new choices so that relationship can shift from the patterns that were serving neither of us into new ways of being that could serve both of us in the same relationship. In years past, that used to be a question that I was always constantly seeking. Can a trauma bond turn into an actual relationship? Because there is such an addiction to this person, right? And I can't possibly imagine that that person couldn't ever become the one that I love. And like Nicole's saying, it is possible if you're willing to become conscious and then do the work. So it may it may pan out the way you want it to. It may not. And I'm going to, there's a line directly from the book that I think um, really sums up your answer to this question, Nicole, and Colleen. Colin or Colleen, I couldn't quite catch how to pronounce it, um, but really your question at large. And it says on page 173 of how to do the work that the path forward is to become aware of the role of self-betrayal in your trauma bonds and the role that you can play in honoring your own needs. So as Nicole mentioned, it is becoming conscious to it. And it's really so great that you're already acknowledging you see these trauma bonds. You know that you're in them. You know the patterns. And at some point, we really do spend... We have to really be brutally honest with ourselves and am I wanting to continue the search of seeking 
what to do next? Or do I really maybe want to look at, I'm aware that these are happening. Now it's actually my responsibility to make a choice to move forward or not. I'm now conscious to it's happening. Am I ready to choose to meet my own needs? So like Jenna said, becoming conscious is really at the foundation of creating change. So whether or not you're out there identifying a current trauma bond that you're in currently or identifying a new partner as a possible trauma bond, when we become conscious, we give ourselves the opportunity to create a new relationship, whether it's a new relationship or a current relationship that we want to modify, that we want to bring into more alignment with our own authentic needs. So talking about becoming conscious in relationships, we have a final question coming in now from Laura. Hello, my name is Laura and I'm from calling from Geelong, Australia in Victoria. Um, I am from America, but I've lived in Australia for 15 years. And my question is my parents, their relationship basically is all about trauma bonding. Um, we FaceTime regularly pretty much every day. I'm very close with my dad, not so much with my mom. They're at a point in their relationship where I think they're both very unhappy. Um, and I've done a lot of self-healing work, but I feel like they, they're not willing to change. Like it's like they're afraid to. So my question is with their relationship, um, and I come from a place of love anytime, you know, there's with them, but I'm just curious as to what advice um, having parents that it, it's a constant, you know, every day they've done this. It's just, you know, it's all about honest communication. Um, but I feel I feel like I'm at a point where I can't help them. So I guess what is your advice when you obviously with your parents you see it and you know, but they're not necessarily willing to I guess do the work. Um, what is your advice there? Thank you. I hope you guys are living your best life in America. We were currently in lockdown here in Victoria, uh, in Australia, but I can't wait to come back to the States. And I absolutely love everything that you post. So thank you. Thank you, Laura. So Laura's question essentially is about becoming relationally conscious in an unconscious trauma-bonded world. So it's very natural as we awaken, as we begin to witness ourselves and our relationships, we very naturally turn our, our witnessing to others around us. And the first relationships that so many of us become aware of are the relationships in our family. And as we go back into that family unit, as we spend time with them, like Laura is doing, we begin to see evidence of the same similar trauma-bonded patterns in those around us, in our mom and dad, for instance. And it's very natural to want to share this awareness with them so that they can change. They can make use of this, this new observation and, and be more fulfilled, be happier in their relationship. What's important to acknowledge, however, is what is our intention when we're suggesting or giving advice to our loved ones? And when many of us explore our intention, we find it's a very personal-based reason. Right? If they change, I can feel better. I can feel less sad. I can feel less stressed knowing how much conflict exists in their relationship. For those of us that live in home with these, with these caregivers, with these parents still, it very, might be a very real effect that their change would have on us. However, we have to acknowledge the reality that we can't change other people. 
as those of us who are on this healing journey know, each and every day we have to stay committed to our own journey of change. So changing for someone else, as much as we would love that to, to be the case, it doesn't happen. So the answer to this is understanding, again, when we're operating from our own intention, when I want you to change so that I can feel better, I put an expectation now on you that you listen to what I'm saying, and as a result, you do differently. And when you don't do that, I typically feel some kind of way, not positive. I feel upset. I feel angry. I feel hurt at your lack of change. As we begin to explore this, we want to surrender to that reality that we might want change for our parents. We might even have an awareness of what could change and the results of that necessary change, yet we need to surrender to unless our parents want to become conscious, unless they do want to show up differently and do the work each and every day. Our work in that moment, Laura, is to process how we feel, is to maybe allow the hurt, the pain, the reality that your mom and dad might not change to be the work that you're offering yourself. So it might not actually be, how do I change them? The work might be, how do I continue to change and to heal even when they're not changing around me. The work is almost always, how do I, how do I change me? How do I heal me? Um, and not that other person, as you mentioned, is you can't ever hold another adult accountable. The only adult you can hold accountable truly is yourself. And this is such a great universal, just macro question, Laura, as I know over the years I've watched when anyone embarks on a new healing journey or does self-healing work or learns it, a new tool in their toolkit, the first thing you want to do is go share it with others, right? Or you immediately witness all of this stuff about yourself that you've looked away from for all these years and you just, you see it heightened and mirrored in everyone around you. So you kind of want to go shake and share it with them, right? And just tell the world. So it is, that's such a, a common experience that that most of us really feel or or have on these journeys. And um, really just echoing again that you can't hold another adult accountable. So while you want them to change, it's their responsibility to change them. And it really could be so simplified. The best way to help them really is to help yourself, is to model it. Just as we talk about parents or caretakers or any sort of parent figure, when everyone asks, you know, well, how do I teach my kids this? How do I model that for my kids? Or how do I teach them? Really is to show them by modeling it yourself. So doing the work for yourself, keeping yourself accountable, then gives way for the people around you to, to see, to see how you're showing up different, and then gives them a space to really become more conscious, even just in your presence, and then maybe eventually for them to consciously choose to create their worlds as well. But it will always begin with you first. What, a, what an amazing and an empowering reminder, Jenna. So thank you for that. You know, we can change in these relationships. As we show up differently, that is often what models that path, that option, you know, that opportunity for someone else, seeing change in someone that they love, maybe even experiencing someone that they love. So for the parents out there, experience to experience your child differently. That might be that thing that helps that parent shift. So the, the work really is in empowering ourselves, in creating change, in identifying, witnessing when we're still showing up in our relationships, within these patterns, these trauma bonds that no longer serve us, and then consciously beginning to 
create a new way of being for ourselves in those relationships and to model for those around us. One of the most important tools that we're going to dive into during next episode to do just that is to begin to create new limits, new ways to be safe in our self-expression through the use of boundaries. So stay tuned for next episode as we dive into all things boundaries. Thank <laughs> you.